get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday, February the 5th, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's released its annual number one central document, which uh, with emphasis on food security, rural development and governance. Israel and Hamas remain divided over the ceasefire framework that Qatar, Egypt and the U.S. negotiated in Paris. And early returns from El Salvador's elections indicate a second term for the incumbent president. In business, China vows further improvements to the country's business environment. In sports, the race at the top of the English Premier League has tightened up. And in culture and entertainment, the annual Spring Festival Gala is almost ready. Now the day's top stories. China's unveiled its number one central document for 2024, outlining the main priorities to promote rural revitalization. The document's divided into six parts, from guaranteeing national food security to driving rural development and governance. As the first policy statement released by China's central authorities each year, the number one central document is seen as an indicator of policy priorities. Zhou Yixin has more. The number one central document outlines China's policy priorities for rural development. This year, it stresses the need to lay solid foundations for agriculture and intensify efforts to achieve rural revitalization to advance Chinese modernization. The number one central document states that the bottom line should be to ensure national food security and prevent a large-scale return to poverty. It puts the focus on improving the development of rural industries as well as rural construction and governance. In the village of Liu Zhang, Liu Guangliang, director of the local service station to promote agricultural technology, explains to farmers how to protect their crops in heavy rains and snow. Liu has worked at the grassroots for many years, guiding agricultural production in the field and convincing more farmers to embrace superior varieties of crop and advanced technologies. This year's number one central document points out that a new round of actions to increase grain production capacity will be solidly promoted. The document states it is important to focus on increasing grain production by increasing yields per unit area at a large scale. We'll continue to take actions to improve yields and convert scientific and technological potential into actual yields to drive increases in production. Liu Zhong used to be a poor village until 2017, creating a specialty rural industry of pure handmade mumbin vermicelli has been an effective measure for the village to escape hardship. The number one central document says it's essential to keep sown farmland at a stable level and increase output per unit at a large scale to make sure the output of grain for 2024 remains above 650 million tons. Improving the industrial development of rural areas is also one of the leading priorities to promote wide-ranging rural revitalization. That was Joe E. Sheen on the just-released number one central document for 2024. The number one central documents underscored uh, some of China's rural revitalization efforts over the past year. They include a pronounced emphasis on national food security and improvements to rural industries and governance. According to data from the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs, China's grain output in 2023 rose 1.3 percent to a record. 
of around 695 million tons. Progress in poverty alleviation continued to be consolidated, and nearly 34 million migrant workers stepped out of poverty last year, exceeding the target of 3.8 million. Rural industries saw increased momentum uh, with more than 90,000 enterprises above the designated size. At the same time, the online retail sales of agricultural products reached almost 2.5 trillion yuan or 347 billion U.S. dollars. For more on the highlights from this year's number one central document, we're joined by Professor Zhang Chuan Hong of China Agricultural University. This is the 21st number one central document since 2004, focusing on agriculture, rural development, and farmer issues. It follows the central themes of last year with the major objectives to ensure national food security, prevent large-scale relapse into poverty and rural revitalization. But this year's document provides a holistic and clear roadmap to agriculture and rural development. First, it provides a holistic roadmap to implement rural revitalization strategy, highlighting the significance of learning from the experience of green rural revival programs, which was launched in early 2000s, starting from rural environment improvement, gradually achieving improvement in rural industry development and governance. Uh, This program has been recognized by the UN and was awarded the Champion of UN Earth Award. And this is also the first time for the central documents to highlight the significance of local experiences. You know, the development philosophy and the trajectory of this program were highlighted in the document. And second, I think the specific measures to ensure food security has been formulated, including stabilizing the growing areas and yield through agricultural infrastructure construction, science technology, incentivizing farmers' enthusiasm for land cultivation and coordination between the production areas and consumption areas. Uh, it shows China will resolutely combat illegal land occupation destruction, increased investment in high-standard farmland uh, construction and management. Uh, One thing particularly is about Trinity land protection system. That means land quantity, quality and sustainability will be ensured through this system. China has made remarkable progress in agricultural mechanization and science technology, yet the overall mechanization rate is about 73%. But in 2005, you know, this mechanization level of plowing, sowing, and harvesting was only 37%. Uh, For some stable crops, you know, um, such as rice, wheat, and maize, the mechanization rate has surpassed 90%. Besides, the contribution rate of science technology is about 62%. China has constructed more than 1 billion mu of high-standard farmland, and 96% of farmers are using improved seeds, and more than 23 million rural practical talents are working in agriculture sector, and the number of new agricultural operating entities like farm cooperatives and family farms have surpassed um, 6.2 million. 
you know, the combination of mechanization and digitalization is the new engine of agricultural modernization in a new era of China. All these will be the major driving force for agricultural development in the next decades. That was Professor Zhang Chuanhong at China Agricultural University. Over the years, Zhejiang has been a prime example of rural revitalization. The eastern Chinese province has been taking a, a series of uh, measures to improve its environment, setting the stage for a thriving rural tourism industry. One highlight is the Morgan Mountain area, once plagued by industrial pollution, and now it's become an international countryside tourist spot, attracting visitors from all over the world. Do Hongyu has more. Hotel Naked Retreats was born out of Morgan Mountain and has gained recognition as one of the world's premier destinations to explore. CEO Manoj Mehta of Naked Group, a high-end rural tourism provider, says the hotel's creation was the outcome of an unexpected event. Their founder got lost on the mountain and was helped by an elderly resident in a nearby village. There was an old lady who saw this foreigner uh, carrying a bicycle and looking very tired and, uh, and desperately needed some water. And it's quite emotional for us that she, uh, uh, she sat down Grant and gave him water and uh, asked him if he was okay and needed some help. A complete stranger. Mehta says they found out that the village had very few young people and many of them were facing financial problems. Impressed by the breathtaking scenery, the founder decided to rent local houses and promote tourism. Mehta also says they've seen the local government take action to shut down polluting industries and improve the environment. Back in 2007, when we first got started, the policies and the steps the, the local government was taking uh, were very uh, environment friendly and uh, ecologically friendly. I remember uh, they were shutting down many of the polluting industries uh, that um, uh, that created uh, you know uh, pollution in the in the rivers and the uh, in the forests around the the Mogonshan area. He notes that the ecological improvements have played a key role in realizing their vision of creating a natural and rejuvenating destination. The success of Hotel Naked Retreats has inspired many young people to return and get involved in developing local tourism. Liu Huitao is one of them. He renovated his own houses and turned them into cozy homestays. In the beginning, most of the houses and the surrounding areas were in bad shape. But once we saw the improvements in the environment and the upgraded infrastructure, everyone was excited to spruce up their own houses and create one-of-a-kind homestays. We've even added some entertainment facilities like swimming pools. To attract more global tourists, the local government has set up an ecological research lamp, cultural facilities and different types of art villages based on the unique environmental features of the area. The Morgan Mountain region now boasts more than 800 homestays, which have generated over 3 billion yuan or nearly 430 million U.S. dollars in revenue as of 2022. However, balancing tourism development and environmental protection can be challenging. Dong Yunyun is a culture and tourism official in Deqing County. She says they have implemented a series of management plans that prioritize environmental considerations. We've been keeping a close eye on the number of homestays, and if they reach their maximum capacity, we won't approve any new ones. In certain areas, we even have restrictions on homestay development as part of our efforts to control and protect the region. 
This helps us strike a balance between development and conservation while effectively managing the available capacity. The official also notes that they are also actively promoting the concept of eco-friendly consumption when living in homestays. For the Beijing Hour, this is Dou Hongyu. Tongliang is widely known as Home of the Dragon Dance. It's long been part of local tradition and cultural heritage. Every year, uh, the district in the southwestern Chinese city of Chongqing gears up for a series of events to celebrate Spring Festival. Gong Ming has more. Travel back in town with us to the ancient city of Anji, located in Chongqing's Tongliang district, boasting a history of more than 1,500 years. As the Spring Festival approaches, the festival atmosphere intensifies. In this year of the dragon, the unique charm here invites tourists to dive into its rich traditional dragon culture. In this Asian town, the elements of dragon culture are everywhere. The most captivating spectacle is the dragon dance, a local folk performance dating back to the Ming Dynasty and proudly recognized as part of China's intangible cultural heritage. During Spring Festival, large colorful dragon dance processions weave through the historic town, showing off nine enormous dragons dancing in unison. Over the course of its long history, the Tongliang Dragon Dance has split into more than 20 distinct variations. The Fire Dragon stands out as Tongliang's most remarkable folk performance. Especially captivating at night, it's considered a must-see spectacle for its roaring flames and sparks of molten iron soaring into the air. The performance is led by bare-chested men and accompanied by rhythmic beats of drums and gongs, showing case a sense of excitement, grandeur and wonder. I came all the way from Hangzhou. This performance got my blood pumping. I've seen it online before but never witnessed it live. Today it got me really excited. Just like that thrill from childhood when we used to set up fireworks, it brought back nostalgic feelings. I came all the way from Xi'an just to check out this show in Tongliang. The dragon dance and the iron flower blooms are seriously mind-blowing. I feel like this year is gonna be extra lucky after witnessing this. The artistry of Tongliang dragon lanterns also boasts a rich history and distinct stylistic features. Celebrating its 10th edition, the Chongqing Tongliang Dragon Lantern Art Festival kicked off on February the 2nd this year. The main venue dazzles with over 30 vibrant lantern sets and 10 large installations, all infused with dragon culture, creating a lively and harmonious scene for Tongliang's Spring Festival festivities. This year's Dragon Lantern Art Festival is a wide-ranging event combining Latin displays, dragon dance performances, and immersive experiences in traditional Spring Festival customs. Visitors not only get to experience the charm of traditional culture, but also feel the festive atmosphere through interactive activities. Ushering the year of the dragon in style. That was Gong Ming in Chongqing. As Chinese New Year approaches, transport figures continue to peak. 
during the ongoing 40-day Spring Festival travel rush. Official data shows Chinese people made 12.8 million railway passenger trips on Sunday. Additional services are being added for popular destinations. Meantime, alerts for freezing weather and heavy snow are in place for several parts of the country, causing the state railway to suspend operations or cut speeds. The Ministry of Emergency Management has upgraded the emergency response for disasters in provinces including Hunan and Jiangxi in anticipation of persistent rain, snow and freezing conditions in the coming days. Since last Saturday, authorities have dispatched 60,000 disaster relief supplies to Anhui, Hubei and Guizhou, including cotton-padded coats and quilts. Coming up, Israel and Hamas appear divided over a ceasefire deal. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. 16 minutes past the hour. Israel and Hamas appear to remain divided over a ceasefire framework brokered by Qatar, Egypt and the United States in Paris. Media reports say Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has insisted that his country will not end the war until all of its aims are accomplished, including the elimination of Hamas and the release of all Israeli hostages. Hamas has uh, demanded solid guarantees for an end of the war and the withdrawal of Israeli troops before releasing any more captives. Meantime, Battles continue to rage in southern Gaza as U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has again made his way to the region. Sarah Coates has more from Tel Aviv. It is understood that the military will continue operating in Han Yunus for at least the next week before moving south. The military said it dismantled uh, major Hamas infrastructure in Khan Yunus, including uh, an area that was a command centre that was used by the brother of the head of Hamas in the Strip, Yaya Sinwar. But look, according Two readouts from this meeting, uh, there's been a lot of discontent and it really is only growing within the Israeli cabinet, within the government. These wider cabinet members, they are saying that they want to be briefed on everything that's going on, including, of course, this hostage deal and that it shouldn't be kept confined to just this war cabinet. But look, there is a lot of anger growing within the Israeli government. We know that the far right flank members here, including Itamar Ben-Gavir, he's the National Security Minister, he has been threatening to quit the government, to dissolve the government if Netanyahu makes what he is calling uh, an irresponsible deal, a reckless deal that's got to do with these hostages. We do know that Netanyahu has been saying that he will not release thousands of Israeli, uh, Palestinian rather, security prisoners from Israeli jails and he will not pull out from the Gaza Strip until Israel's mission is accomplished. But look, there is also uh, a lot of anger on the opposition side. This is coming from Benny Gantz, who is one of these war cabinet members. He's then been saying that he'll also quit this uh, small war cabinet if Netanyahu caves to the right. So this is certainly a, a massive dilemma for Netanyahu. He's really in a very, very difficult position. He's also being pressured, of course, by America and the Israeli public who are continuing to demonstrate day after day saying that he is not doing enough to bring these more than 130 hostages that do remain in the Strip 
home. It's certainly coming at a very difficult time for the Secretary of State. Uh, the situation right across the Middle East is very quickly deteriorating, according to the White House. One of his main goals will be getting more aid into the Gaza Strip. Also, of course, uh, securing a deal that could see the release of hostages, which would also include a pause in fighting. And this is something, as I mentioned, that Israel uh, has so far been not willing to do this time around, given that it sees uh, Hamas is breaking this ceasefire during that last hostage negotiation. Now, he'll also be trying to calm tensions in other parts of the Middle East, specifically here, the Red Sea, uh, CENTCOM, just over the last few hours, releasing yet another statement saying that it carried out a fresh wave of strikes on Houthi targets on five missiles that were preparing to launch. So this is certainly very concerning, that Red Sea shipping channel. Uh, also, of course, Israel's northern border just over the last few hours. Also, the IDF has been hitting numerous Hezbollah targets in southern Lebanon as these tit-for-tat strikes over that border continue. While there is, of course, still unrest, major unrest in the West Bank, the IDF carrying out raids in the early hours of this morning. And this has certainly been an area that the United States has been telling Israel to get a lid on, to pull back tensions, because they say that it could become the next front. And with all of these areas really heating up, it would certainly uh, be very, very difficult to bring them down. So this is why we are seeing this fifth visit since October 7 by the Secretary of State, Blinken. That was Sarah Coates in Israel. The Houthis say the airstrikes by the U.S. and the U.K. on Houthi positions in Yemen will not affect the group's decision to show support for Gaza. It came after U.S. and British forces launched joint airstrikes. The Pentagon says the strikes are aimed at degrading the group's capabilities to attack international shipping in the Red Sea. Iran and Iraq have condemned the airstrikes on Iraq and Syria. The U.S. says the attacks are against targets linked to the Iranian Revolutionary Guard and Iranian-backed militias. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan has said that his country will take further action after conducting airstrikes over the weekend against Iranian-backed militias who carried out attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East. And Sean Calebs has more. The United States is absolutely firmly convinced that both the targets in uh, Iraq and in Syria are working with the Quds, who are members of the Revolutionary Guard of Iran. And even though Iran doesn't directly control the Quds, the Quds do get funding and, uh, and training from Iran. And those are the troops apparently working with militia in those areas. They said they were able to actually trace a drone that followed the U.S. soldiers to the base uh, in Jordan uh, a week ago today uh, when that drone fired uh, and killed three U.S. service uh, troops and injured more than 40 others. Uh, and also they say that there's, there's really no question that so many of the missiles that are firing on commercial shipping vessels in that all-important shipping channel uh, in the uh, Red Sea leading up to the Suez Canal also come uh, from a different arm. They come from Houthis. We're talking about two totally different things, and it, it, it does sound very complex, but the U.S. launched uh, what they call a multi-tier tax, the first one Friday, against the uh, militia that was traced back to uh, killing the U.S. troops, and then the one, the last two days, uh, you know, the Houthi rebels in Yemen, uh, they say that have been firing missiles uh, from there at commercial vessels in and around uh, the Red Sea. About 60% of China's exports that go to Europe end up going through the Suez Canal, so they've had to find different routes. It's dramatically raising shipping costs uh, up 
three, four, even five times as much, plus the insurance has gone up significantly. So eventually the consumers are all going uh, to feel this. Is it going to work? The U.S. launched an attack against the Houthi rebels back in January, and it really did nothing to stop uh, the missiles uh, from coming in. Uh, the United States and U.K., which uh, launched the attack, said that they targeted missiles and ammunition sites. And there are so many countries in the region right now that say that this was misguided, it shouldn't happen, that the best way to find a way forward is to come to the negotiating table and find peace. That was Sean Caleb's reporting. Coming up, El Salvador's president appears to have earned a second term in office. The world is about to change. Warriors, assassins, fair maidens, court officials, and even emperors and heavenly immortals are nothing but pawns on a giant chessboard. Xu Fengnan, a playboy of national notoriety and heir to the empire's second most powerful man, finds himself embroiled in the depths of an unbeatable game. CGTN Radio invites you to immerse in a world brimming with heroism and follow a young man's odyssey in the audio drama series, The Sword Strider Saga, now available on radio.cgtn.com and all the major podcast platforms. When courage meets wisdom, the sword scribes an immortal legend. We're at 20, 25 minutes past the hour. El Salvador's uh, president declared himself the winner of national elections that revolved around the trade-off between security and democracy. Nayib Bukele claims to have won more than 85% of the vote, despite electoral authorities not immediately releasing the official results of the poll. For the first time since Civil War ended in 1992, the Central American country held the election under a state of emergency imposed for Bukele's crackdown on criminal gangs. Alistair Baverstock has more from San Salvador. The incumbent president, Nayib Bukele, does appear given preliminary publishing of results set for a landslide victory here, securing a second five-year term, and it's something which the country itself is very happy about. Bukele had approval ratings as high as 82%, and a lot of that has to do with his crackdown and on the Mara gangs and the, the vast improvement in the security situation here in El Salvador. Less than two years ago, this country was one of the most dangerous countries in the world. Following a particularly murderous weekend two years ago, Bukele brought on a state of emergency crackdown and over the course of the next following months and years has put more than 76,000 alleged Mara gangsters behind bars. And what do the next five years hold for El Salvador? Well, the country still has a number of problems. Poverty rates are still very high. 26% of this country lives below the poverty line. $5 a day or less is what they earn, as well as this country currently struggling to feed itself. This country imports 80% of all the food that it consumes while it has allowed its agricultural sector to go into disarray. More than 280,000 hectares of agricultural land here in El Salvador are completely idle today, not producing anything whatsoever. So these have been the campaign promises of Nayib Bukele for his next five years. And that was Alistair Baverstock reporting. 
Residents in Paris have voted in a referendum on whether the French capital should muscle sport utility vehicles off its streets by making them much more expensive to park. Some officials have warned that SUVs are causing problems such as more pollution and traffic accidents. The referendum focuses on a proposal to triple parking fees for SUV drivers from out of Paris. Proposal suggests that the cost for non-residents to park SUVs weighing more than 1.6 tons in the city's 11 central districts soared to 19 U.S. dollars per hour for the first two hours. The drivers will pay $13 per hour for the first two hours if they park the car in the nine outer districts of Paris. Uh, the referendum is uh, the last uh, or latest leg in a drive by the mayor to make Paris greener and friendlier for pedestrians and cyclists. The city's seen 84 kilometers of cycle lanes created since 2020 and a 71% jump in bike usage between the end of the COVID-19 lockdowns and 2023. At 28 past the hour, Beijing's down to minus 5 on Monday evening. Tuesday will be cloudy with the high of plus 5. Nanchang has a slight rainfall tonight and tomorrow. The low is down to plus 1. The high is 3. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's at 5 this evening. Tuesday's sunny and 15 degrees. Vientiane's down to 18, then sunny and 35. Phnom Penh's 24 overnight, then sunny skies and 35. In Africa, Nairobi you'll see cloudy skies with a high of 27 on Tuesday. Kampala's down to 19 overnight, then cloudy skies and 29. Juba's at 20. 22 this evening. Tomorrow is sunny in 37. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China's released its annual number one central document with emphasis on food security, rural development, and governance. Israel and Hamas remain divided over the ceasefire framework that Qatar, Egypt, and the U.S. negotiated in Paris. And early returns from El Salvador's elections indicate a second term for the incumbent president. Shane Bigham, stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An additional General Railway Company Deutsche Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好,我的中文一点点. or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了,我是本地人. There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday. Still to come. 
In business, China vows further improvements to the country's business environment. In sports, the race at the top of the English Premier League is tightened up. In culture and entertainment, the annual Spring Festival Gala is almost ready. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with today's headline news, here's Tian Lu. Thank you, Shane. China says it opposes any action that violates another country's security, sovereignty or territorial integrity. The foreign minister spokesperson was responding to a question regarding U.S. strikes on Syria and Iraq. Both countries have condemned the attacks, which the U.S. claimed were in retaliation for the deaths of three U.S. troops in Jordan. The Chinese official says U.S. Urge, says China urges all parties to abide by international law to avoid escalation. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has urged UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres to step up international efforts to stop the ongoing Israeli aggression against the Palestinian people. Abbas was speaking during his meeting at the presidential headquarters in Ramallah with UN Special Coordinator for the Middle East Peace Process, Tor Venisland. Abbas underlined the need to ensure an increase in humanitarian aid relief supplies and shelters for the Palestinians. He also stressed the importance of preventing the displacement of Palestinians and stopping all attacks by occupation forces and settlers. Forest fires in central Chile have killed more than 110 people as officials extended curfews in cities most heavily affected by the blazes. The fires around Viena del Mar have left 1,600 without homes and destroyed a botanical garden that had a history of over 90 years. Chilean President Gabriel Boric says the number of deaths could still rise as rescue workers search through homes that have collapsed. The Interior Ministry says there are over 90 active fires throughout the country. Almost a year round from the devastating earthquake that struck Turkey and Syria and killed over 50,000 people, survivors are still struggling to rebuild their lives. Among the hardest-hit areas was rebel-held northwestern Syria, where many of its 4.5 million people had already been displaced by the country's 12-year civil war. Sidor Farha Brim is among the over 10,000 injured people in northwest Syria. He now lives in a tent with his mother, struggling with basic needs. The place is filled with mud and rain, and when you want to walk around, it's too cold, and there is not enough wood for the fire. The UN says around 2 million people in Syria needed assistance prior to the quake, including 1.8 million who live in camps. David Carden is the UN Deputy Regional Humanitarian Coordinator. He says the UN is limited in what it can do. There's also been uh, you know, difficulties in supporting uh, water stations, uh, education services, uh, medical support, hospitals have been affected. So it is a problem uh, and we would urge the uh, international community to really not to forget northwest Syria. Cardin says only 37% of pledged donations have arrived and aid to northwest Syria has continued to decline over the country's 12-year war. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says Northern Ireland faces a brighter future with the restoration of devolved government after two years of deadlock. 
The region's pro-British Democratic Unionist Party ended a two-year boycott of the power-sharing government after striking a deal with the British government to ease post-Brexit trade friction. During a visit to Belfast, Sunak highlighted the need to deliver for the people. Now that we've got the executive back up and running, it's right that people have their local politicians focusing on their priorities, starting with public services. There hasn't been devolved government up and running here for far too long, but now we do have it and they can start focusing on delivering for everyone. The power-sharing government in Northern Ireland was a key part of the 1998 Good Friday peace deal that ended decades of political and sectarian violence in the British region. Sunak was visiting Belfast a day after Sinn Féin's Michelle O'Neill was appointed First Minister of Northern Ireland, the first time an Irish nationalist has taken the post. The move is considered as the latest as the latest sign of the rise in the British region of the Shenfen Party that has said its ultimate dream is a united Ireland. Accorting Seoul has, has cleared Samsung Electronics chairman J.Y. Lee in a case related to irregularities in the 2015 murder of Samsung affiliates. Prosecutors last year called for Lee to be jailed for five years for his alleged involvement in the merger suspecting stock price manipulation and other wrongdoings that helped the defendants gain at the expense of minority investors. Lee and executives denied wrongdoing, saying the processes were part of normal management activities. The Chinese People's Liberation Army Air Force acrobatic team is preparing to make their debut at the World Defense Show in Saudi Arabia. The team arrived in Riyadh on seven J-10 fighter jets and with an aerial refueling aircraft YY-20. The pilots say they are confident in their ability to fly to more countries to promote peace and friendship. The second edition of the World Defense Show will get underway on Sunday. Chinese pianist Wang Yujia has won the Grammy for Best Classical Instrumental Solo with her album The American Project. This was her first Grammy after four previous nominations. Well, thank you very much. That was Tian Lu with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China vows further improvements to the country's business environment. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news your window on China and the world. 37 past the hour now. Turning to business and here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. Let's first get a check on the equity markets starting the week. The Chinese mainland markets closed lower on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite Index sank as low as uh, 22,635 points before it recovered a little after lunch. But it still closed about 1% lower and only just above the uh, psychologically important 2,700-point level at uh, 2,702. Now, the Shanghai, uh, the Shenzhen Component Index, uh, it couldn't hang on above uh, its uh, psychological level. 8,000 points, and it sank uh, more than 1% to 7,964. Real estate, consumer stocks, they were probably the biggest losers. Uh, Really only financials and energy sector shares managed to dodge the falls. The stock market regulators uh, said that they're going to work to stabilise the market, crack down on short selling, attract more long-term money into Chinese stocks, and listen to investors. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped more than 0.1%. In Japan, the Nikkei increased over half a percent. 
China's latest cut of the reserve requirement ratio for commercial banks is officially effective on Monday. The ratio is the percentage of a bank's total deposits the lender is required to hold in reserve in order to meet withdrawal demand by depositors. Monetary authorities set the ratio to adjust money supply in the market. Analysts say the cut by 50 basis points aims at offering liquidity for the upcoming Chinese New Year festival, as well as strengthening credit capabilities of commercial banks and stabilizing asset prices. For more, Pan Dong spoke with Liu Zhiqing, a senior fellow at Renmin University of China. Well, Professor, let's start with the triple R cut. This time, it's 50 basis points, a little bit out of people's expectation because usually it was 25 basis points.、Uh, how can it、uh, affect the Chinese economy positively this time? Yes, you are totally right because the market has a good reaction to this move. This move has sent a very strong signal to the market, not only for domestic market but also for globally. As we know that this monetary policy has showed a slightly improvement, has a greater change. As we know that China's PBOC always has the monetary policy is always prudent, but now this time I think we have tried to shift from prudent to progressive, from progressive to a little bit aggressive. So that's why we can see that the 50 uh, point uh, uh, the increase of the, the reduction of the triple R is out of some people's expectation as the traditional 25. So this is why we think this is a good、uh, signal to the market because we have more confidence and we have more strong supportive policy from the central bank. So tell us why liquidity. Matters so much to the Chinese economy, especially at the start of a year. As we know, the start of the year is,、uh, as always, we will say that the start of the year is the most important time for the year whole. So we see that if we don't have enough liquidity for the bankers or for the enterprises, they don't have enough budget to make more investment. The, the rest of the year will be more difficult for the expansion and for the further development. That's why. At the very beginning of the year, that the central bank and all the enterprises try to get a better position, to have a better prepared budget for more investment in the future. Actually, the beginning of the year we are facing another challenge: is that the Spring Festival. This is a time for expanding, for spending, for more investment. So this is another request of the market. So that's why. I think the market and the PBOC central bank has considered the urgent need of the market, especially the consumer sex sections, really is waiting for such a move imposed by the central bank. That was Liu Zhiqing, a senior fellow at Renmin University of China, offering his insights on China's latest cut of the reserve requirement ratio. China's top economic regulator has vowed to foster a market-oriented, law-based, and world-class business environment. According to the National Development and Reform Commission, one of the goals is to build a national unified market to ensure fair competition and reduce operating costs for enterprises. Chinese authorities launched a series of measures last year to improve the rule of law and protect the interests of enterprises. The government has promised to align with international systems and standards to attract foreign investment and promote high-level opening up. It's also vowed to improve administrative efficiency for better service.
The 2023 research report on China's cultural industry and tourism shows that a host of new tourism trends swept across the country last year. The new trends range from city walk tours to watching football matches in villages or experiencing the excitement of ice and snow in Harbin. In 2023, more than 65% of consumers increased their time and money spent on travel. Some consumers say they're willing to spend money on spontaneous trips and self-care. Others say they plan to continue increasing their travel expenses in 2024 and explore domestic cities with their families. Yunnan Province is China's largest producer of fresh flowers. With the Chinese New Year or Spring Festival just around the corner, farmers there are busy preparing their most special products for the celebrations. Yang Jinghao spoke with several farmers. In Chinese tradition, red symbolizes joy and hope. And so it's little wonder these vibrant red berries are highly sought after for the Chinese New Year, the country's most important festival. Ao Yubao has spent the past few years cultivating winterberry holly, and it's proven to be a lucrative venture. I've sold more than 100,000 hollers this year, with sales reaching about 2 million yuan. Ao is from Qingning in southwest China's Yunnan province, a place known for its flowers. The local government says Jingning produced 5.6 billion freshly cut flowers in 2023, generating production value of approximately 500 billion U.S. dollars. As the Spring Festival approaches, locals are gearing up to meet the growing demand. I'm here at a flower production center in Jingning. The freshly picked flowers are sorted, packed and pre-cooled here before they are distributed. I'm packing the flowers. As the spring festival nears, we are much busier than usual. Normally, we start working at 8 or 9 a.m., and now it's around 7. Yan Zhao Chun focuses on butterfly orchids, another popular option for the celebrations. His flowers are also exported to countries like Vietnam, which also celebrates the festival. A Vietnamese client placed an order for a container of butterfly orchids with me. I didn't have enough stock myself back then, so I collaborated with several growers to fulfill the order. I've exported over 10,000 of the flowers to Vietnam, roughly doubling that of last year. Currently, Qingning is stepping up efforts to develop a whole industrial chain with a comprehensive trading center now in place. We currently have several cloth chain vehicles in our company, enabling short-distance transportation. We've also introduced several major logistics companies to facilitate long-distance transportation. I believe we'll soon be able to directly ship fresh flowers from our production base. Industry insiders say the Spring Festival should usher in a year of booming business as China's economy rebounds from the COVID pandemic and the local flower industry goes from strength to strength. That was Yang Jinghao in Yunnan. Activity in China's service sector has maintained robust momentum. The latest Taishin Services Purchasing Managers Index stood at 52.7 in January. Despite a slight fall from the previous month, the figure is the second highest in the past six months. 
January's expansion was attributed to improved market conditions and rising orders for services exports. Business owners have been scaling up hiring to cope with rising demand. However, the costs of raw materials, labor, and transportation continue to rise, resulting in a drop in the raw materials price index. The Taichung Composite PMI came in at 52.5 last month, almost unchanged from a month earlier. Thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu with business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, the race at the top of the English Premier League is tightened up. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here is Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. In football, the English Premier League title race got a lot tighter after Arsenal claimed a 3-1 victory over league-leading Liverpool. The Gunners benefited from two second-half errors from Liverpool goalkeeper Alisson Becker to move up to second on the table. Arsenal is just two points behind Liverpool in what might shape up to be a three-way fight for the title along with Manchester City. Gunners coach Mikel Arteta says his players showed great fighting spirit. It was an extraordinary game. I think it was an incredible performance uh, from the players and from our people. The atmosphere that we generated in the stadium is the best I've seen this season. We demanded that we had to go to a different level and connect it again to the demands that this league has in every game. And they have responded in an unbelievable way. And I think the players left absolutely everything. They put their heart and soul in every single ball. And I cannot be any prouder. Also on Sunday, Rasmus Hoyland scored for the fourth straight league game as Manchester United beat West Ham 3-0 for a second victory in three days. Real Madrid failed to extend its lead on the La Liga table after conceding a stoppage time goal against Atletico Madrid in a one-all draw. Just one minute away from beating its city rival for the second time in less than a month, Real saw Marcus Llorente score an equaliser for Atletico with the header. Real coach Carlo Ancelotti says it was a disappointing draw, but the team will move forward. We are not satisfied because we deserve to win. We had games in which we won at the very end coming from behind. We were not too happy with that. So I think we need to stay calm. We gave everything that we could. One point, that's fine. We're still top of the table, two ahead second place, and we have the chance to make an impact next Saturday. Real could have taken a four-point lead over second place to Girona with the win. Meantime, in Italy, Inter Milan took a potentially decisive step toward the Serie A title after beating second place Juventus 1-0 and opening a four-point lead. Thousands of football fans in Hong Kong were left disappointed when Lionel Messi failed to take to the field in a friendly match for Inter Miami. The Major League Soccer team defeated a Hong Kong side 4-1 in front of 40,000 frustrated fans in the exhibition match. New signing Luis Suarez also missed the game because of a knee injury. Many fans left early and some of them asked for refunds. And Inter Miami's co-owner David Beckham was booed when giving a speech after the game. Miami coach Gerardo Martino apologized but said players' health comes first. La verdad que... 
We understand the disappointment of the public that filled the stadium today, who failed to watch Messi and Suarez play. This was a decision taken together with the medical staff. We've run a lot of risks of aggravating their injuries, and that's why they couldn't play the game. We understand people's disappointment. We apologize to them, but I hope they could understand that if there was any possibility for them to play for a while, we would have done it. Inter Miami continues its preseason Asian tour by taking on Visokobi in Japan on Wednesday. The 2026 FIFA World Cup final will take place at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, beating out Texas and California for football's showcase game. The home of the NFL's New York Jets and Giants will host the finale on July 19th. The stadium, with a capacity of 82,000, opened in 2010. FIFA also allocated the tournament opener to Mexico City's Estadio Azteca on June 11th. China has won gold medal in the men's three-meter synchronized spring board for the fourth time in a row at World Aquatics Championships. Wang Zhongyuan and Long Dao Yi were the top scorers in five of the six rounds and retained their world title in the event. The duo outclassed the second-placed Italian pair by a substantial margin of over 58 points. It's also Wang's seventh world title. Meantime, China triumphed in the artistic swimming team acrobatic competition, edging out Ukraine by 0.86 points for the gold medal in the nail-biting final round. This title marks China's second gold in the event since Fukuoka 2023. At China's national winter games, skiers from Jilin Province dominated men's alpine events, with Liu Xiaochen topping the podium in the slalom. Liu's victory means skiers from Jilin have won all five men's events in alpine skiing at the games. Liu says he aims to represent China at the 2026 Winter Olympics. I claimed two silver medals in my earlier events, so I was eager to win a gold medal. This is my first time topping the podium at the National Winter Games, which is one of the biggest winter sporting events in the country. So I'm very happy and excited. My goals are to continue to improve, stay in the national top three, and hopefully qualify for the 2026 Winter Olympics. Sunday's event took place at National Alpine Skiing Center in Beijing, which hosted the alpine skiing events during the 2022 Winter Olympics. 13 teams with 49 athletes competed in the men's slalom, but only 20 finished with a valid time. All right, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, the annual Spring Festival Gala is almost ready. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. Fifty-four minutes past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment, China media groups held the fourth rehearsal of the 2024 Spring Festival Gala, revealing a deep integration of art and technology. 
The rehearsal offers a peek into more shows, including a ballet dance by children, a Shaoxing opera performance by internet-famous actress Chen Li Jun, and wushu displays. The gala producer, or rather the gala director, has uh, polished the program since late December and says the segments flow smoothly. The Spring Festival Gala, known as Chunwen in Chinese, has been broadcast live annually since 1983. This year's event will air on Friday, the eve of the Chinese New Year. Well, shopping is an important part of Chinese New Year preparations. City dwellers mostly do their shopping online or in supermarkets, but big open-air fairs called Daji still exist in many suburbs and rural areas in China. Uh, Chen Mengfei visited one in Liaoning province. In the West, you have Sunday markets, and in China, we have rural fairs, or Daji in Chinese, meaning big gathering. One of the biggest of its kind in northeastern China. Hongqi Daji boasts a proud history of 300 years and some 3,000 producers and vendors who gather here for nine mornings every month. Organizers say on a busy day, the fair can attract a hundred thousand people, the kind of traffic that puts the sellers in high spirits. Business is amazing. Look at all these customers. That's why we came all the way here. The rice cake maker Mr. Gao is happy to let visitors share some of his cooking duty. <laughs> to the delight of the children, one of the customs on this special day is to eat Guangdong candy, a very sticky and crispy kind of sweet. Chinese people have been going to these fairs for hundreds of years. For this 83-year-old man, today's market is very different from the one in his childhood memory. So many goods for people my age. We didn't even dare to think of things like this. Even this bag of candy, it didn't exist. One, we had no money. Two, there weren't so many products. Nowadays, oh my God, they have things I can't even think of. For the younger generation who can easily do all their shopping online, coming to the fair is a break from their mundane routines. I'm usually indoors during work days, and it's rare to be among this kind of crowd. Everyone is different, and I prefer to be with many people. More than just a market, the fair showcases cultural heritage, promotes local products, creates memories, and fosters a sense of community. That was Chen Mengfei at an open-air fair in northeast China. A series of celebratory activities for the upcoming Spring Festival are underway in Europe, allowing the local people to feel the festive ambience. In London, iconic red buses featuring the auspicious Chinese dragon uh, pass through city landmarks. The National Maritime Museum in London also staged lion dances, tea-tasting ceremonies, and mahjong games. In Budapest, a delegation from Chengdu treated the Hungarian audience to a diverse range of traditional Chinese arts. In Bulgaria, a folklore event kicked off in Sofia over the weekend, featuring artistic performances, traditional Chinese games, and a tasting session for Chinese cuisine. A concert featuring Chinese songs and world classic opera took place in Madrid as part of celebrations for the Chinese New Year.
We're at 58 minutes past the uh, hour now. Checking the forecast before we go for the day, and Beijing's down to minus 5 on Monday evening. Tuesday, it'll be cloudy and uh, 5 above. Nanchang has a slight rainfall tonight and tomorrow. The low's down to plus 1, the high is 3. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's at 5 this evening, then Tuesday's sunny and 15. Vientiane's down to 18, then sunny and 35. Phnom Penh's 24 overnight tomorrow is sunny and 35 degrees. In Africa, Nairobi will be getting cloudy skies and a high of 27 on Tuesday. Kampala's at 19 overnight, then cloudy skies and 29. Juba's down to 22, then sunny and 37. And finally to Oceania, Port Vila's getting 26 this evening. Tomorrow, we'll see some rain and 30. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China's released its annual number one central document with emphasis on food security, rural development, and governance. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 